Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. We're going to be closing out this just little two-part series that we, we started last week called Digital Jesus. If you weren't here with us last week, we started off basically talking about how when we live in a digital age, it's very easy to, to fall into the trap of being comfortable with things that aren't personal. Because technology plays such a huge part of our lives nowadays, it's, it's easy to fall into a trap of having digital friends and not feeling the need to have personal friends. And uh, we just went down the list of, of ways in our society that we've grown accustomed to losing that personal touch and how you can't afford to do that with your relationship with God. If your relationship with God is not personal, then it's not Jesus. There's no such thing as digital Jesus. There's only personal Jesus. Jesus did everything that he did because of his personal love for you, his personal desire to have a relationship with you. And so tonight, um, I'm going to be talking um, about a story that if you've been around church for any amount of time, you've probably heard preached on a bunch. I've probably, I don't even know how many times I've preached on this passage. And typically when I've preached on a passage a lot, I kind of try to shy away from it because I've done that. Uh, But I just, God kept bringing me back to this. I knew that that's what I was supposed to speak on tonight. So we're going to be looking at this story of the woman with the issue of blood, but we're going to be giving it a little bit of a twist at the end, something I feel like God has been weighing heavy on my heart this week. And I just really trust and believe that's going to speak to you tonight as well. But I'm going to give you the bottom line. Before we even get into the story, I'm going to tell you what the left hook is, the jab, the uppercut. This is what I want you to get out of tonight right now, is that Jesus doesn't desire a crowd. He died for a connection. Jesus doesn't desire a crowd. He died for a connection. Turn to your neighbor and say, he doesn't desire a crowd. Turn to your other neighbor and say, maybe you haven't heard, but he actually died for a connection. Jesus doesn't desire a crowd. He died for a connection. So we're going to be reading out of Mark 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to throw it up on the screen in just a second. But before we do, I want to give you a little bit of context. And I'm going to reveal some of the story before we actually read it in the hopes that as we go through it together, you're able to see some things that maybe you wouldn't have caught on originally. So you're going to basically see this story is made up of two stories that are intertwined together. And... Um, This is like one of the most famous interruptions in the history of mankind. And so the first character that I want to key key in on and give you a little context is this guy named Jairus that we're going to read about. Now, Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. Depending on what translation you read, it says it three times even more in some different translations that he's the ruler of the synagogue. Now, in a story that's two paragraphs long, it's a little obnoxious when someone keeps repeating the title of the person that many times in such a short little passage. But I believe that the author, Mark, is really driving home the point of wanting you to understand who this person is and what this person would have been about. So Jairus is the ruler of the synagogue. If he's the ruler of the synagogue, that means that he was a wealthy, prominent, educated, popular man of power. He, he was a leader. People looked up to him. People listened to him. And uh, if, if he was the ruler of the synagogue, you understand that there was tension between him and Jesus. Pharisees didn't like Jesus. Pharisees were always contradicting Jesus. They were always challenging Jesus. They were always questioning Jesus, especially in public. They were always worried about the public's opinion of Jesus. Whenever there was a crowd in Jesus, usually there was a Pharisee not too far behind trying to get the pulse of what was going on, either reporting back or asking questions or challenging, trying to discredit Jesus in some way because they were super concerned about the crowd's opinion of Jesus. Now, when we're going to start this story, you're going to 
see that Jesus coming off another miracle, he arrives and he is greeted, he's welcomed by a great crowd of people. Now, as this crowd of people is circling around Jesus, you see that Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, does something unfathomable, crazy. He pushes through the crowd of people, and he falls at the feet of Jesus and begins to beg Jesus. This is crazy, absolutely crazy. This guy is risking everything, everything, job, status, power, everything by doing this. But you see, the reason why he's doing this is because you start to to read that his daughter is so sick, she's actually sick to the point of death. And so this this Pharisee who has made a living and a career out of challenging Jesus and and sticking to the law and not wanting to believe that Jesus was actually the Messiah now doesn't care that there's a crowd of people, actually pushes through the crowd of people. He falls at the feet of Jesus, and he begins to beg Jesus. This is so profound. He's forgoing what he's supposed to believe, and he's actually going to the only one he believes who could actually heal his daughter. When it's his daughter's life on the line, he doesn't care about the public's opinion. He doesn't care about the crowd anymore. All he cares about is pushing through whatever he has to get through in order to get to the one he believes could actually heal his daughter, and he begs Jesus. Now, it'd probably be pretty understandable if Jesus' response was, I'm sorry, oh, Jairus, you're, you're actually the one who's been spreading rumors about me, aren't you? Aren't you, aren't you the one who called me out in front of that crowd last week? Yeah, that was you, wasn't it? Uh-huh. I mean, it, I probably would have tried to rib Jairus a little bit, like, you've been making my life a living hell. And isn't this crazy now that, look at this little, but Jesus, in all of his grace, you see that Jesus agrees, and he follows Jairus. So Jairus, we see this picture of Jairus, he convinces, he doesn't even really convince, he's begging Jesus. Jesus agrees to do it. So Jairus is leading Jesus back to his house where his daughter is so that Jesus can heal his daughter. Now, on the way, you get introduced to the second main character, and that's the woman with the issue of blood. This, this story and, and this title just breaks my heart because th- this woman doesn't even have the, the dignity to have a name. We don't, we don't even know this woman's name in the Bible. We just know her by her issue. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that you have been struggling with some things for so long that you begin to identify more with your struggle or your weakness than who God actually says that you are. I wonder if you've begun to, to find your identity. You've begun to view yourself through the lens of your weakness as opposed to a child of God, one who's been saved by the finished work of, of Jesus. You see this, this woman with this issue, it was, it was such a big deal. See, back in, in those days, uh, when, when a woman was, was at that time of the month, she was considered ceremonially unclean. And so back then, under the law, even though it was nothing of her doing, it's not like it was in her control, she was not allowed in the temple. Not only was she not allowed in the temple, she was actually not allowed to come in contact with anybody. Not friends, not even her own family. Now, I could only imagine how hard that would be to be cut off from everything, completely rejected and abandoned for a week, this woman, you start to read about, has had this issue for 12 
years. 12 years of being pushed out of every social circle. 12 years of being told you don't belong here. 12 years of saying, get out, don't touch me, don't come in contact with me. You can't be here. You're not welcome here. 12 years of being rejected. 12 years of being shunned. Now, not only, I, I can't imagine the weight of that emotionally, but the bigger concern is that she's actually getting worse physically. When you continue to read, you see that she spent all that she had on every doctor that she could get, and she wasn't getting any better. As a matter of fact, she was getting worse. She was physically being drained of her life. So as we pick up this story and as you're going to see her interrupt this first character's encounter with Jesus, you're going to see a woman who's sick, she's dying, she's poor, and she's completely alone. We're going to pick up in verse 21 of Mark 5. It says, after Jesus returned from across the lake, a huge crowd of people quickly gathered around him on the shoreline. Just then, a man saw that it was Jesus, so he pushed through the crowd, and he threw himself down at his feet. His name was Jairus, a Jewish official who was in charge of the synagogue. He pleaded with Jesus, saying over and over, please come with me. My little daughter is at the point of death, and she's only 12 years old. Come and lay your hands on her and heal her, and she will live. Jesus went with him, and the huge crowd followed, pressing in on him from all sides. Now, in the crowd that day was a woman who had suffered horribly from continual bleeding for 12 years. She had endured a great deal under the care of various doctors, yet in spite of spending all she had on their treatments, she was not getting any better but worse. When she heard about Jesus' healing power, she pushed through the crowd and came up from behind him and touched his prayer shawl. For she kept saying to herself, if only I could touch his clothes, I know I would be healed. As soon as her hand touched him, her bleeding immediately stopped. She knew it, for she could feel her body instantly being healed of her disease. Jesus knew at once that someone had touched him, for he felt the power that always surged around him had passed through him for someone to be healed. He turned and spoke to the crowd, saying, Who touched my clothes? His disciples answered, What do you mean, who touched you? Look at this huge crowd. They're all pressing up against you. Who are these guys? Who talks back to Jesus like that? But Jesus' eyes swept across the crowd, looking for the one who had touched him for healing. When the woman who had experienced this miracle realized what had happened to her, she came before him trembling with fear, and she threw herself down at his feet, saying, I was the one who touched you. She told him her story of what had just happened. Then Jesus said to her, Daughter, because you dared to believe, Your faith has healed you. Go with peace in your heart and be free from your suffering. Incredible story. Absolutely incredible story. You see, as Jesus is scanning the crowd and he's trying to figure out who touched him, she realizes, I'm not going to be able to get out of this. He knows that something happened. And so you see this picture of her falling at his feet in fear and trembling because For her to push through the crowd meant that she was breaking every rule that there was. Not only would she have been a a woman pushing through a crowd of men at the time, but she was viewed as sick and unclean, coming in contact with every person that she pushed through, 
pushing through to try to touch the clothes of who many believe to be the Messiah. And now as this Messiah is realizing that something had happened, he's now asking who touched her. She falls at his feet in fear. What's so amazing about this is that Jesus could have just kept going. She was just wanting to steal a healing and get out of there. I think she thought like, whoa, boop, got mine, let me go. No one even knows what just happened. But Jesus wasn't content with letting her go just being healed physically. He actually wanted to heal her mentally and spiritually and emotionally. How beautiful of a picture this woman who had been through so much, whose identity was wrapped up in this thing that was beyond her control, that wasn't her fault, this thing that people had used to to dismiss her, to demean her, to belittle her, falling at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus in front of the crowd, in front of the people who had done that to her for 12 years, in front of the ruler, calls her daughter, gives her this term of affection, daughter. See, Jesus is including her into his family, the very thing that she had been without for the last 12 years. In front of everyone, Jesus is using a term of endearment to describe her. Not only is he referring to her as daughter and how profound that is in and of itself, but Jesus then goes on to compliment her faith in the midst of the crowd and the religious leaders. Jesus is affirming her publicly. I can't even imagine the tension happening in this circle right now. First of all, you got a crowd of people who've just been pushed aside by this ruler falling at Jesus' feet. You hear about a little girl that's dying. Then all of a sudden, you get pushed to the side by a woman who wasn't supposed to contact you. She touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus, she listens to this whole story of this woman's life. Then he's affirming her. And all of this is taking up time when a little girl's life is hanging in the balance. I could only imagine the things that are going through the mind of Jairus, who as the the leader of the synagogue would have been the one instituting the rules that she was not allowed in the temple, that she was ceremonially unclean, that she was not to be in contact with anyone, friends or family, recognizing who she was, recognizing who it was that was interrupting Jesus getting to his daughter so that his daughter could be healed. And as he's standing there viewing this interruption, Jesus is now commending her faith. Jesus is now affirming her publicly in front of the crowd. As Jesus gets done affirming this woman's faith in front of Jairus in the crowd, Jairus gets word that his daughter's passed away. Now, at this point, Jairus doesn't even know what to do, but you see this amazing thing happen all of a sudden. When Jairus was informing Jesus that his daughter was sick and Jesus needed to come heal his daughter, and Jesus, in all of his grace, agreed to do so, Jairus was leading Jesus to his daughter. The moment when he finds out that his daughter's dead, all of his hope is gone, and you see Jesus say, you need to have hope, follow me, we're going to go there. You see this turnaround happen of who's leading who. At the moment when Jairus realized that it was out of his hands, his daughter had already passed away. It's Jesus to say, you need to have faith and you need to have hope. On the back of him commending this woman with the issue of blood's faith. Her daring to believe. Now, if you continue to read this chapter, which you need to do, you read that 
the way that Jesus performs this second miracle is completely opposite of the way he did the first. This first miracle, he makes a public spectacle of it. He could have just let her slip slip away and not brought any attention to it, but he recognizes her. He affirms her. He speaks life into her publicly. When he gets to this, the house of Jairus and to, to heal this little girl, there's a crowd outside there. But Jesus only invites a couple disciples in and the parents. He wants to do this in private. When Jesus goes in and he raises this little girl back to life, it is so comical how drib-drab Jesus is with the whole thing. Jesus is like, hey, wake up. Okay, get her something to eat. Peace out, Jairus. You're literally like, excuse me? You just raised a little girl back to life. Like, what? I don't, I don't, what, what just happened, Jesus? Jesus is so subdued compared to this first incredible miracle that happened. Now, a few years ago, I was, I was doing a message on this, and, and uh, you know, it, it stuck out to me that this little girl was 12 years old. This woman had suffered with this issue for 12 years. I'm like, there has to be a connection between this daughter and this woman. And I wasted so many hours trying to figure out, reading commentaries, trying to figure out what the connection was between these two, and I couldn't find anything. So I was like, maybe it's just coincidence, I guess. Well, the next day, I, I was doing some word studies, and I just happened to look up what Jairus's name means, and then it all clicked. Jairus's name means the one whom God enlightens. The one whom God enlightens. So let me draw the, the dots for you because I, I can tell it didn't just click. <laughs> so as the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus would have been the one to expel this woman from every social circle, to cut her off from everything. So the very year that his daughter is born, this woman's condition begins and she's cut off from everyone. The very year that he makes sure she has no connection, he welcomes his daughter into his home. Twelve years later, it takes this ruler's own daughter's life to be hanging in the balance for him to be a captive audience to actually learn what Jesus is teaching. And Jesus is showing him, this is who my daughter is. See, it was Jairus' love for his daughter that brought him, that propelled him to the point of being able to push through the crowd. I don't care about my status. I don't care about my job. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about any of that stuff. I want my daughter to be made well. It was his love for his daughter that pushed him to do what he did. And Jesus is here showing Jairus, I'm about to enlighten your heart of who my daughter is. The same love that you have for your little girl who's dying right now is the same love that I have for that woman that you've made an outcast for the last 12 years. God is enlightening him on his love for his children. Jesus is showing him, I came for the sick. I came for the broken. I came for the outcast. I came for the rejected. I came for the dismissed. You see, this, this woman's issue was completely outside of her control. When Jairus is approaching Jesus, I think he also believed that his issue was outside of his control. But Jesus, knowing that he's going to heal his daughter, is teaching Jairus, actually, your issue is within your control. And while I heal this woman of what's outside of her control, I'm going to teach you how to fix what's in your control. Jesus does not desire a crowd. He died for a connection. I want to show you two ways where, where you can really see the profound impact if you can get this into your heart, into your spirit. 
Jesus doesn't desire a crowd. He died for a connection. The first way that you can tell is that Jesus can feel the difference between a crowd and a connection. Jesus can feel the difference. So funny that his disciples are, like, um, confident, I guess is a nice way to put it, confident enough to question Jesus in front of a crowd of people. When Jesus says, who touched me? And these smart aleck dudes think that they can say, what do you mean who touched you? Look around you. Everybody's bumping into you. Like, have you ever walked through Times Square around Christmas? You know, like, that's kind of what I picture. You bump into 8,000 people. You're like, I definitely got 18 diseases while I was here tonight, right? You're like, I, I know I'm going to be sick on the way home. You just, when you're in a crowd of people, every, every step you take, you're bumping into somebody. His disciples are looking at him like you're crazy, but isn't it so profound that Jesus could tell the difference between a crowd bumping into him, barreling around him, and somebody not even touching him, but touching the end of his robe? See, Jesus could tell the difference because of the heart, because of the approach. This is, this is, this is so profound. You're not getting it. You can be around God and not be changed by him. You, you could be around church. You could come to church and still not allow yourself to be changed by him. You could be pretty close to Jesus, facing Jesus, and still not let it change you. And Jesus can feel the difference. Jesus can feel the difference between a bump or somebody saying, I need you. I'm coming after you because I need a touch from you. You are all that I have left. I need you. I am so desperate for for you. I need you to change me. I need you to live on the inside of me. I need you to to speak to me. I need you to guide me. I need you to, to show me what my life is all about. I need you, Jesus. Jesus can feel the difference between a crowd and a connection. This woman was coming after him, and she was letting everything go. She was pushing through so much by pushing through that crowd. She was risking everything. But she's sitting back, and she's realizing, I have struggled for 12 years. There is no end in sight except death, except defeat. He is all I have, and I believe it says that she kept saying to herself, if I could just touch his clothes, I know that I'd be healed. She was repeating to herself, I know, I know if I could just touch him, if I could just be connected to him, I know that there would be change in my life. I love the fact that she doesn't sit back and have a victim mentality. Well, if Jesus wants me to be healed, he'll come to me. I guess if it was his will, I'd be, uh, if it was his, his will, I'd be healed already, right? You know what? I just don't know if I have it in me anymore. Twelve years I've been doing this. I've been at this. You know how long it? It's actually been 12 years, going on 13. You know how tired I am? This is exhausting. 12 years. Some people grow so comfortable talking about your problem, you don't even know how to act if the problem wasn't there, so you just grow comfortable sitting in it. You, you pursue sympathy from other people more than you pursue Jesus actually taking care of the problem. <laughs> it's not even in my notes. That's for somebody, though. This woman didn't have victim mentality. This woman said, he's not getting out of my sight, and I don't care what i got to push through. I don't care who i got to bump into. I don't care what rules I'm about to break. I need a touch from Jesus, and I will not stop until I get it. If I could just touch the end of his robe, I know that I'd be healed. Jesus could feel the difference. Jesus could feel that somebody touched him, it says, for healing. 
So Jesus could even feel the difference of what you're coming to him for. You know, it's, it's really easy when you attend church a lot to be like, oh, yeah, dude, tonight was awesome. Tuesday night was awesome. Oh, that was so good. I hope we have another one of those, like, in the next couple of months. That was so good. Worship was so good. Congratulations, you bumped into Jesus. That shouldn't be church. That shouldn't be church. You should be coming every single week being like, I will push through, and I will praise through, and I will listen through, and I will talk through whatever I got to do because I need a touch from Jesus tonight. I'm not going to church to be around it. I'm not going to church to hopefully bump into it from a time time or two. No, I need Jesus. Every chance that I get, I am going after him like he is all that I have. You know, I even got respect for Jairus because Jairus is risking a lot too. I mean, his daughter's life is on the line, but he's risking everything. Why? He's doing it because he believed that Jesus was the only one that could heal her. He pushes through the crowd just like she pushes through the crowd. He lays his own pride and reputation down in front of everybody. He humbles himself in front of everybody because he loves his daughter, and he believes that Jesus is the best chance that she has to be healed. He's desperate. Jesus can feel the difference. Jesus is following him to go heal his daughter. How does this apply to you and I? There is a difference when I'm approaching God, when I'm approaching church, when I'm approaching my walk like, hey, God, I need more of you. There's a big difference between that and being like, hey, God, you are all that I need. God, you're all that I have. God, nothing else matters. And I'm so sick of trying to add you on to my life. I'm so sick of you trying to be an addition or for you to supplement what I already got going on. God, I'm giving you everything. Because I need you to change me from the inside out. I need a transformation. God, I want to be used by you. God, nothing else matters except what you have for me. God, you are all that I need. Jesus can feel the difference between a crowd and a connection. Second thing that I want to point out to you is that not only can Jesus feel the difference between a crowd and a connection, but people can see the difference between a crowd and a connection. I want to ask you a question that I want you just to internalize for the next week. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Do people have to push through you to get to Jesus? And I'm asking this to, to people who would consider themselves church people. Jesus people. Do people have to push through you to get to Jesus? You know, if you, if you stand back and you look at what would have been so fearful about this woman pushing through the crowd, it really comes down to people's perception. She was perceived as being unclean. She was perceived as being dirty. She was judged by people. People had the audacity to think that she brought that on herself because of her actions and her choices. People viewed her as unworthy. People didn't want to come in contact with her. People didn't want to be associated with her. It was easier for people to not get their hands dirty than it was to actually reach out to a, a woman who needed it more than anybody, who needed community more than anybody. Even just look at the physical posture. She's pushing through people's backs as they're facing Jesus. I, I hope everybody in here is, is facing Jesus. I hope everyone's life is pointed in that way. But I want to ask you a question. Do people have to push through you to get to Jesus? Are you, is your life more vocal about the things that you're against than what you're for? If I follow you on social media, am I more aware of how you vote? 
and the things that you pick it against and the things that you don't like, then the good news of the gospel of God's grace and his love and the fact that none of us deserve it are, are people pushing through your perceptions to get to Jesus. Or have you just grown so comfortable in your spot and the fact that you're facing Jesus and your life is going okay at the moment that you got your back turned to everybody else? Anything that's connected to Jesus is invitational. Anything that's connected to Jesus is inclusive. Any, anyone that's close to Jesus has a heart like Jesus, and Jesus' heart is for whosoever. It's for everyone. It's for anyone. The life of the believer should show people that Jesus is within reach. The life of the believer should show that hope is within reach, that peace is within reach, that salvation is within reach. I think we need to be more intentional about the message that our life is giving off, verbal and nonverbal. I think it's so telling that this woman is pushing through a crowd, is pushing past religious leaders to touch an inanimate object for some sort of healing. Not because the robe was special. It's because that robe was connected to Jesus. She'd rather touch a robe and pass by crowds of people, crowds around Jesus. I'm not talking about a, a, a ruckus crowd. I'm talking about a crowd of people around Jesus she's pushing through because she just desires something connected to Jesus. Because anything connected to Jesus is invitational. Anything connected to Jesus is always inclusive. I'm going to have the band come up as I begin to, to wrap this up. And I think that although this may seem subtle, there is a huge shift and a huge change that can happen inside every single one of us when we ask ourselves these questions and we begin to evaluate the message that our life is actually giving off. Because God desires to use your life to help draw people to himself if you allow him. If he can use a robe to be attractive to a woman who's desperate, God could use your life. Isn't it so cool that when she didn't even feel comfortable enough to touch Jesus himself, there was, she felt comfortable enough to just touch his robe? How cool would it be that if, if your life and my life were connected enough to Jesus that someone could recognize, man, if I could talk to that person, there's something different about that person. Maybe they don't feel comfortable out of the gate by themselves to just ask Jesus into their life. Maybe they don't feel comfortable out of the gate to walk into a church, but they feel comfortable enough to talk to you because you're normal, but there's something different about you. You're a real person. They know you. They have respect for you, and there's something different about you. And, and what's so cool is that even though there is something different about you, you're the nicest person. You're encouraging your life's not perfect, but you have this joy and peace about you that I don't see in a lot of people. Why? Because you're connected to Jesus. You know, religion can be exclusive, tends to be exclusive. Jesus is always inclusive. Religion will try to tell people that it's their issues that disqualify them from God's grace. 
Jesus teaches that it's your issues that presented the need for his grace. It's because of your issues that he made the decision to come and give his life for you. So you can live a life disqualifying yourself from something that Jesus already chose to do, like we talked about last week. Before you ever had the opportunity to choose to live for him or love him, he chose you. He loved you. He died for you. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and, and you feel like, man, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in. Like, I, I, don't, I don't feel this personal connection to Jesus. I've seen some stuff. I grew up around it. But I, I don't feel like it's personal. I want to ask you tonight, what's holding you back? What, what is keeping you from pushing through? Maybe you're here and you're like, you know what? I think I'm part of the crowd. I hang around it a lot, but I, it's been a long time since I felt like there was a personal connection in there. Well, well what's keeping you in the crowd? What's, what's keeping you from pushing through to get a hold of Jesus for yourself? Well, what's, what's keeping you in the position of living like you're trying to add God to your life instead of giving God your entire life and being like, God, you're all I need? What's holding you from pushing back? Maybe you're here tonight and you, up until 30 seconds ago, viewed yourself as an insider. My hope and prayer is that you realize that if you are an insider and if you are connected to Jesus, then you always have a heart for the outsider. (laughs) You're only really on the inward if you always have a heart for the outward. When you're connected to Jesus, your eyes and your heart are always pointed towards people that need Jesus. When you fall into the trap of being part of the crowd, you end up turning your backs on those who need him the most. Jesus doesn't desire a crowd. He died for a connection. I want to ask you to stand up tonight, and we're going to begin to, to close out. we got a, a prayer team that is standing along the back, and, and I don't know what brought you here tonight. I don't know if you got stuff going on in your life. I don't know if something tonight may be triggered something inside of you, but whatever the need is, our prayer team would love to encourage you and pray with you and uh, and just believe for change and just listen, give an ear to listen. They're the best, and uh, we want to encourage you to make use of them. As soon as we start the song, you can head back there and, and get some prayer. For the rest of us, as we just take these last couple of minutes and we begin to close out in, a, in one more song, could we just evaluate where we find ourselves in the story? Like, have I just grown so comfortable with being around it that I have lost my desire to push through? I've lost my desire to be completely dependent on God. And if that's you, I want to encourage you, for these next couple of minutes, why don't you just push through like your life depends on it? Because it does. Why don't you just pursue with everything that you got? Why don't you lay down what people think about you, what your reputation, what you think your reputation might be, whatever it is that's holding you back. Why don't you just lay that down and why don't you just push through to connect with Jesus? For everyone in here tonight that you're like, man, you know what? I think I've lost sight of people who need Jesus. I, I think I've kind of, I've, I've started to lose sight of that. I want to challenge you to do something as we sing this last song. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now in these next couple minutes, who have you put in my life that I'm supposed to influence? 
Who have you put in my life that I'm supposed to encourage? Who have you put in my life that you are trying to draw to yourself? Show me. If you begin to pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal some people, I promise you he will bring people to your mind. And then I want to encourage you to pray that the Holy Spirit would strengthen you and give you wisdom in living a life connected to Jesus that draws people to himself. Can we do that? Is that cool? I want to ask you, if you're here tonight and you just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want to be used by you. I want to invite you. Do you mind raising your hands real quick as we pray and we go back into worship? Jesus, we thank you so much that you died so that none of us would ever have to be an outsider. Lord, that you gave your life for us to have personal relationship. God, if there's anybody in the room right now, Lord, that doesn't have that connection with you, I pray that you would just light a fire inside every single one of us to push through to not stop, to never settle, to never grow comfortable if we settle for anything less than a personal connection with our Savior. Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone in here, Lord, that you begin to show us, that you begin to bring names and faces to our minds and our hearts of people that you've placed in our lives, God, that you want us to influence, that you want us to to bring to you, Jesus. I pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the words and the passion and the burden, Lord, to, to constantly live in a way that shows everyone around us that you are within reach, that hope is within reach, that peace is within reach. Jesus, we look to you tonight and we sing to you, believing that you are a good and faithful shepherd. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.